evidence and answers. Is the COVID-19 pandemic a sign that we are in the end times? In his Olivet Discourse, Jesus specifically states that one of the signs of his soon coming will be pestilences upon the earth. Is there a connection with the corona pandemic and the return of Christ? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will present a biblical perspective on our present pandemic and the return of Christ in a message entitled, Are We in the End Times? Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran. Are we in the end times? You know, Jesus promised that one day he would return to judge the earth and establish his kingdom. Now, prior to his return, there would be warning signs that the day of his judgment was indeed near. Now, in his final year of ministry upon the earth, his disciples asked him as they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking down at the Jerusalem temple. And the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So standing there on the Mount of Olives, Jesus stated in Luke 21 verses 10 through 11, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So in this Olivet Discourse, Jesus specifically states that one of the signs of his soon coming will be pestilences. In Revelation chapter 6, we have the famous four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first is the white rider, who is the future false ruler to come. The second horse is the red horse who takes peace from the earth. The third horse is the black horse representing famine. The fourth horse is the pale horse representing death. And it states that authority is given to these riders to judge the earth. Revelation 6.8 states, And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, these two passages and others state that pestilence will kill a massive population of the earth in the end times. So this leads many to ask at this time, are we indeed in the end times? There are four primary theological positions when it comes to eschatology or the study of end times. The four views are idealism, preterism, historicism, and futurism. Idealists believe that Revelation is an allegory of the battle of good against evil with good triumphing in the end. There's no historical connection in the book of Revelation with events in world history. It's simply a symbolic allegory of good versus evil. Preterists believe that Revelations chapters 1 through 19 were fulfilled in 70 AD with the fall of Jerusalem. That position is called partial preterists. And then there are full preterists, who believe the entire book of Revelation was fulfilled. Remember, full preterists believe that the entire book is fulfilled. Partial preterists believe chapters 20 to 22 is in the future. Full preterism would actually be a heretical view because you deny the literal return of Christ. Then we have the historicist view. Historicists believe that Revelation represents the history of Western Christianity and the events in Revelation correspond to events in Western church history, such as the wars of Napoleon and World War I and II and the Reformation and others. So 
We are believed to be in the latter chapters of Revelation right now. In fact, every generation of this particular school felt that they were in the latter chapters of Revelation. Now, these three schools interpret Revelation allegorically. The last one is the futurist position. Futurists interpret Revelation literally and believe the events of Revelation are future. So for a detailed description, visit evidenceandanswers.org and you can read my article, Four Views of Revelation, there at evidenceandanswers.org to get a more detailed explanation of these four views. So hopefully this brief overview helps you understand why there may be so many different interpretations of Revelation and why many Bible teachers may answer this question in different ways. Now I take the view called futurism. I am a futurist. I interpret the book of Revelation literally and I understand the events of Revelation and the Olivet Discourse as future. So I would be a futurist or also known as a premillennial in my theology. All right, so I interpret Revelation literally that these events are yet to come. So futurists or premillennialists like me believe that there will be a future seven-year tribulation period of unprecedented catastrophes as God's final judgments are unleashed upon mankind. The results will be that over half the world's population will be decimated by wars, plague, famine, and demonic armies. Now, there are several events that must occur before the seven-year tribulation begins. Now, the seven-year tribulation comes from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, which states, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So according to this passage, Israel's timetable, when Daniel received this prophecy, he was there in exile there in Babylon. So he was there during the Babylonian Empire and the beginning of the Persian Empire. And God reveals to him the answer to the dream that he was given. And God reveals to Daniel that Israel's future timetable was divided into 70 groups of seven years, the 77s, Daniel 9, that famous prophetic chapter there. So 70 times 7 equals 490 years. Now the prophecy was to be fulfilled in two phases. First, the 69 weeks. It's revealed in the passage 7 plus 62 in Daniel 9.25. This would be followed by a time gap, and then the 70th week would be fulfilled. So chapter 9, verse 25 through 26 states, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now the first phase, the 69 weeks, equaling 483 years, began with the order to rebuild Jerusalem. So that's when the time clock begins. And the order to rebuild Jerusalem was given by Artaxerxes in 444 BC, according to Nehemiah chapter 2. And 
it's fulfilled with the death of the anointed one and the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. All right, so when you calculate that, and remember, the Jewish calendar year must be adjusted to our Gregorian calendars. All right, for a full detailed calculation, you can go to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. The passage states that there will be seven weeks, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the first 69 weeks are fulfilled. When it says there, the anointed one shall be cut off, it means the anointed one will be killed. And so here in this famous Daniel 9 passage, it predicts the date of the death or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Very fabulous prophecy. All right, so the 69 weeks are fulfilled. Now there is a gap of time between the 69th and 70th week. The final week describes the final and great period of tribulation. Daniel 9.27 describes two critical events of the 70th week that mark the beginning and the middle of the tribulation. The tribulation begins with the Antichrist signing a peace covenant with the nation of Israel. And in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will break the peace treaty, put an end to the sacrifice at the temple, and set up the abomination in the Holy of Holies, there in the Jerusalem temple. Jesus stated in Matthew 24, verse 15, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Right now, in 167 BC, the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the Jerusalem temple when he built an image of Jupiter there in the Holy of Holies and sacrificed the pig on the altar, desecrating the temple. That led to the Maccabean revolt in which Judas Maccabees cleansed the temple and restored the temple. And that's where the holiday of Hanukkah comes from. Right now, Jesus says here in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, when you see this again, when you see the abomination spoken of in Daniel, when you see that again in the Holy of Holies, he says to the people in Judea, run for the hills. So what begins the tribulation? Then the seven-year tribulation is the signing of the peace covenant between the Antichrist, the world leader, and the nation of Israel. So in order for us to be in the tribulation, there must be a world leader who brings the world under his dominion. This leader signs a peace treaty bringing a temporary but a false peace to the nation of Israel. Now at this time there has not arisen a world leader who has brought the world under his authority and signed the peace treaty with Israel. Daniel 7 verse 8 and Revelation 17 teaches that the Antichrist will indeed arise from the ten-nation confederacy of the old Roman Empire. All right, so for these reasons, I do not believe the Antichrist is President Trump or Putin from Russia or the leader of China. I believe he is yet to arise. Therefore, we are not in the tribulation yet. Now, there are also additional factors that lead me to conclude we are not in the tribulation. Most who are declaring that we are in the tribulation period hold to what is called the post-tribulation view of the rapture. This view teaches that the rapture 
when the church is suddenly taken out of the world will occur at the end of the tribulation. So Christ will return for his church at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The church is taken up to heaven and then brought right back down. I hold to a different view called the pre-tribulation rapture position, that the rapture will occur before the tribulation begins. So from my position, this would be another argument against the tribulation at this time. Now, there are several reasons I believe the rapture occurs before this seven-year tribulation. I cannot give an extensive treatment, so I'll only present a few reasons. You can listen to a more detailed account in my interview with Dr. Mark Hitchcock on the rapture on our website there at evidenceandanswers.org. But here are just a few reasons why I believe the rapture is going to occur before this seven-year tribulation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it says that this day will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. So this verse teaches that the Lord will come suddenly like a thief when the world is not expecting it. Now, biblical passages indicate that we will know when the tribulation begins, the signing of the covenant between the Antichrist and Israel. Most certainly we will know when we're in the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist sets up the abomination in the temple. So if the rapture is at the end of the tribulation, we will know the time of his coming. He will not be coming as a thief in the night. Also remember, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, He will come when the people of the world are saying there is peace and security. Well, when God's judgments are unleashed upon the earth, people will not be saying there is peace and security. Instead, as Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and 17 states, The kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich and powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So according to Revelations there, when the tribulation period begins and the judgments of God are unleashed upon the earth and these catastrophes are happening upon the earth, people are not saying there is peace and security. They're saying to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's what they'll be saying, not there is peace and security. Second, the church is not appointed to wrath. As you can see in that passage in Revelation 6 and others, the people are crying because what has come upon them is the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. That's what they're saying. But in many passages, the church is not appointed to wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. In Revelation chapter 3, God tells the faithful church of Philadelphia, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. So these passages teach that God will keep the church from the time of his wrath. Third, the church is not mentioned after chapter 4 of Revelation. 
Those who come to Christ in the tribulation, they are distinct from the church. They're called the tribulation saints. We see that in Revelation 6 and 7. They're distinct from the church. For example, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So you can see they are distinct, this group here. They're under the altar in heaven. Then in chapter 7, verse 13, it says there's a multitude dressed in white, waving palm branches in heaven. And in verse 13, the elder asks the apostle John, who are these clothed in white robes and from where they have come? John said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So it's significant to note that John does not recognize who these saints in heaven are. The reason is they are distinct from the church age saints. It's a distinct group. They are the tribulation saints. So in both passages, the tribulation saints appear to be distinct from the church. Fourth is that the scripture teaches that of Christ coming as imminent. In other words, nothing prophetically needs to be fulfilled. So we are commanded to wait for his appearing. These are made clear in passages like 1 Corinthians 1.7, Philippians 3.20, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and Titus 2.13. The rapture is a sudden event that will come with no warning. However, the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation will be preceded by many signs and many events that occur during the seven-year tribulation period we can see in Revelation 4 through 18. So therefore, his coming wouldn't be imminent. There's a lot of prophetic events, judgments that must happen before Christ returns. But if his coming is imminent, as scripture teaches, nothing needs to be fulfilled. So if the rapture happens before the tribulation, indeed, it would be imminent. There's nothing that needs to be fulfilled, could come at any moment. I think the last one I'll go through is that after the rapture, there will be a brief moment before the seven-year tribulation actually begins. And at this time, there's going to be the famous war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38-39. This is going to be an Islamic coalition of nations. If you look at the nations listed there in Ezekiel 38-39, these are the powerhouse nations of Islam right now. So an Islamic coalition of nations led by Russia will invade the nation of Israel. This is the famous war of Gog and Magog described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now there are several views when this battle occurs, but I believe it occurs before the actual start of the seven-year tribulation for the following reasons. First, after God supernaturally delivers Israel from this coalition, it takes months to bury the dead and seven years to clear the debris of the war, according to Ezekiel 39, verse 9 and 12. Second, the timing seems correct. The chronology makes sense. With the collapse of the Russian and the Muslim empires, this opens the door for the final world empire of the Antichrist to arise, that 10-nation confederacy described 
in Daniel and Revelation will finally arise and he'll make a peace covenant with Israel and then set up the abomination of desolation in the Holy of Holies. So the Jerusalem temple must be up on the Temple Mount. Now you know that Muslims, that's the third most holy site in Islam and they will never allow another building, especially a Jewish monument, the temple. They will not allow that on the Temple Mount. But if the Islamic coalition is gone, if they are no longer a powerhouse on the scene, then it makes sense that the Antichrist would sign a peace covenant with Israel and then allow them to put that temple there on the Temple Mount where presently the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque is. So it seems to make chronological sense. So for these reasons, I do not believe we are in the end times or in the tribulation period for the reasons I stated. There's no worldwide leader who has brought the world under his authority. This world leader has not signed a peace treaty with Israel. And then from my position, the rapture has not occurred, nor have we seen the battle of Gog and Magog. So for these reasons, I do not believe we are in the tribulation period. Well, then what are we to make of the times we are in? Is there any connection with the pandemic that we are facing now? Well, Jesus stated in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 that there will be signs that indicate his return is near. Some of these signs include a rise in false teachers, wars, natural disasters, persecution of the church, famine, pestilence. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks of a great apostasy. Apostasy is when people know the truth of Christ and turn away and willingly embrace a false teaching. But there will be a great apostasy that occurs before his return. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 describes a time of great moral decay in the world. Now, these events have been happening since the beginning of the church age, but they will increase in intensity as we near the return of Christ. So it doesn't take long to realize we're seeing these events rise in greater intensity. For example, we have never had weapons of mass destruction that we have now. Now we have the potential to destroy the entire earth several times over, right? And we continue to build more massive and more highly technological equipment that's even more destructive. We need that to keep up with the other superpowers who are doing so as well. So we're seeing an intensity of this. We're seeing more apostate and false teaching coming out of the church than ever before. So although I believe we are not in the tribulation period, we are seeing the birth pains that Jesus foretold would occur before his coming. I believe this COVID-19 crisis is a pandemic that I believe illustrates, you know, how realistic Bible prophecy is. We see how this virus can spread rapidly and kill thousands within days. Even with all our technological advances, we are helpless against such a threat. And then look at the fallout from this pandemic. I think it reflects in a small way the future fallout that will occur in the end times. I mean, with the spread of the virus, there is a huge economic fallout threatening to shut down the world financial markets. Because of the bankruptcy and the aid that is needed, the printing of money and the devaluing of currency, you could see almost to a tremendous economic crisis. And if it were to continue on, it would be an economic collapse, a need for one world currency. 
governed just by a small group or a single government system. So imagine a worse pandemic that lasts for a longer period. It would cause economic collapse, a devaluing in currency, a need for a one-world controlled government described in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 17. Uh, the shutting down of ports and trains, the closing of many of our food manufacturing can lead to famine and food shortages. We see just in the brief time we have here, these kinds of shutdowns, sending the cost of meat and a loaf of bread skyrocketing and, and toilet paper too, skyrocketing prices as described in Revelation 6, 6. It says that a loaf of bread will cost a full day's wages. So I believe this is indeed what we're seeing, a preview of the tribulation and COVID-19 and other disasters are part of the birth pains that will intensify as we near the return of Christ. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcast, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Hey.